Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We're continuing our study in protology and eschatology, seeing how the early chapters of Genesis are one of the best indicators of what we can expect in the very last of the last days. And in this episode, we are in Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is really just a boring genealogy chapter without too much to teach us. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Genesis 10 is a very important chapter. There's two things that I see that just stand out. Uh, First of all, in Genesis 10, if you add up all of the descendants of Noah that later became nations, you find 70. And so Genesis 10 has been called the table of nations. It's a table of nations in the very ancient world. Now, there's something very interesting that if you look in the Hebrew text of Genesis 10 and count everybody up, and I'm not going to read all these to you, but if you count them all up, they come to 70. But if you look in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, there are 72 nations, okay? So now let's Fast forward to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two. But if you read the ESV instead of the RSV, it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. In other words, the RSV and the ESV, two great translations, one has 70, the other has 72. One reflects the Hebrew Old Testament, the other one reflects the Greek Old Testament. But the point being, why is Jesus sending out 70? It's a reflection of the protology in Genesis 10. You have 70 nations. And the Gospel of Luke is particularly concerned with Jesus's concern for the outsider. And where Matthew concentrates on Jesus sending out the 12, Luke has Jesus also sending out the 70. And let me just bring this home. If I may be blunt, Christianity isn't supposed to be a belly button religion. By that, I mean it isn't just something for ourselves to contemplate within ourselves. And specifically, do we establish ministries with others in mind, or do we establish them primarily to make ourselves happy? Um, As far as I understand in the Gospel of Luke, the happiest a person could ever be would be reaching one of the lost sheep and bringing them back. And there's more joy in heaven over that that is also shared with those doing it on earth. So just something to consider. Let's say you're establishing an outreach to Catholic young adults or Catholic young marriage or both, and you're coming up with a name. 
Now, everybody likes to choose a Latin name, but unfortunately, 99% of the population doesn't understand Latin, and particularly the outsiders. So they have no idea of your group's existence because they have no understanding of what your name might bring. Now, I know I just stepped on a couple of toes, but you might think about this. You might think about the outsider because Luke certainly was, Jesus certainly was. Uh, we see the, the, the groundwork here for the nations of the world in Genesis 10, and God himself come in the flesh, Jesus Christ has concern for all 70, not just our group, but the whole world. Enough of that. All right. Genesis 10, is it a boring genealogy? No, because in the middle of Genesis 10, we get an interruption, a big interruption with a focus on a man by the name of Nimrod. And if you can catch this, we have here a, a chapter basically showing the big picture of the origin of the early nations of the world. And in the middle of that, it kind of breaks this continuity of listing all the nations and focuses on Nimrod, starting in verse 8. Cush became the father of Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel in the land of Shinar. This is the Mesopotamian River Valley. And from that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. Now, here it is. You have all the nations of the world, and Nimrod is the first world emperor the ruler of the world's first imperial powers, namely Babylon and Assyria. Babylon is an early name for what later became the world empire of Babylon. It says in verse 11 that he built the city of Nineveh. Well, for a time in the ancient world, it was the largest city in the world. And so what you have here is this person Nimrod singled out as a ruler amongst rulers in this ancient world. And the focus here, if you can catch this, it says, and the beginning of his kingdom was at Babel. That's Genesis 10.10. Again, Babel is the early name for what became known to us as Babylon. Let's do a little protology and eschatology. Protology, Genesis 10.10, Nimrod establishes the kingdom, or establishes his kingdom beginning at Babel or Babylon. Eschatology, hang on for just a moment, because between protology and eschatology, we have this thing called world history. When we get to the prophet Daniel, we've gone through the book of Daniel. If you remember, there are four world empires. And contrary to the way world history is often taught to Catholic young people, these are four world demonic empires that the book of Daniel lists, starting with Babylon, Media Persia, 
Greece, and Rome, all of these are, are outgrowths of the Nimrod impulse, which continues to this day. This is what's going on in world history, even though so many don't recognize it. Those teaching world history don't recognize it. Believers often don't recognize it. But the Nimrod impulse, and what is that Nimrod impulse? And I'll be digging into this a little deeper, but he was a tyrant. He was the first of the world's tyrants. And it, it doesn't just go on in Genesis 10. Genesis 10 was the seed that grows through world history. But we find that at the end of history, this erupts in its final form. And we read about it in Genesis chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Genesis 10 is your protology. Beginning of his kingdoms, really, his first kingdom was Babylon or Babel. It ends up in Revelation 17 and 18. And I'm just going to go through here quickly and highlight some things. It says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who is seated on many waters. The harlot is the empire that rules over the world's empires with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and with the wine of whose fornication the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. In other words, this world empire basically drugs the world and to the point that they lose their reason. If you're really drunk, you're impaired. You can't think properly. And this is what Revelation 17 is describing. And the woman looks great. It says she's arrayed in purple and scarlet with gold and jewels and pearls, but it's a false picture. But it's a picture that mankind through history has fallen headlong into. But she had on her forehead a name, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and of the earth's abominations. That's Revelation 17.5. And this is getting to the very end of our eschatology, our study of last things. And where does it come from? Genesis 10. Why has it come from Genesis 10? Well, St. John says, and to me, this is one of the unusual and striking passages from the entire book of Revelation, and we read right over it so often. But St. John says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. In other words, God pulled back the veil and his eyes were seeing this, what appeared to be a great world empire was really wickedness at its core that had led the world astray. But the angel said to me, Revelation 17, 7, why marvel? Ooh, do, do you get this? Why marvel? And Revelation 17 goes on to say that this very nice external looking world system, which Nimrod started, Nimrod is the precursor of the Antichrist. He's the first picture of the Antichrist in Scripture. And when we get to Revelation 17, we read 
in verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 13 and verse 16 and verse 17 about the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist system is called Mystery Babylon the Great. Where did that begin? With Nimrod. Now, let me just ask you a question. And it's a question that we kind of uh, don't answer properly very often, but why did Jesus have St. John write the book of Revelation? (laughs) It was for perception. It was to reveal what's really going on in the world. And it's not because you know, God wanted us to be able to have a crystal ball peeking into the future. No, it's this. Catholics in the first century and the 21st century were drowning in the allurements of the world system of wealth, free sex, and genuine-looking but utterly corrupt religion. Five out of the seven Catholic churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 receive a stern rebuke Even one of the churches, Ephesus, had St. John and the Blessed Virgin Mary living there, and they still needed a rebuke. And St. John is giving us, at the command of Jesus, a shocking visual depiction of the economic, political, moral, religious corruption that we're falling headlong into. And Revelation 17 and 18 are designed to shock Catholics back to reality and fidelity. We're not to be attracted to the latest manifestation of Nimrod's empire. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 229 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.